This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. All right, hooray. Friends, we are gathered here this night in the presence of God and man and angels to celebrate and discover His Word. Yes? Yes. Who wants a Bible study? Yes, let's, let's, let's get stuck into the, into the Word. We are in Acts chapter 18. We're going to read uh, verses 18 to the end. Um, and before we do, what do we do when we normally get together in the presence of the Lord? We pray. Who can we volunteer to pray to lead us and bless the Lord for His Word? Father, we do thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your word that you guide us and get out of So I just pray that tonight you will open our minds, open our hearts, so that we can just learn what it is you want to teach us tonight, that we can understand better and hold on to this knowledge. For sure Amen. So we have been looking at the Acts of the Holy Spirit. I mean, yes, the book of Acts. Uh, paying particular attention to the work uh, of the Holy Spirit, paying attention to areas where He appears, and also when He does not, and then asking questions, why does He not appear? And why, why is He not mentioned? Um, and we've been learning things along the way. So here we are, uh, Acts 18, Paul has been in Corinth, and uh, last week we studied verses 1 to 17, and is our tradition. We go over last week's material so that we're puts a little bit of background into, into today's, tonight's material. So I'll just read the notes. In contrast to the majority of other towns and cities that Paul and his companions have visited, Paul leaves Athens in peace and enters Corinth. Remember, as we go through the history of Paul, he seems to be chased out of every single city before proceeding to the next one, often being smuggled, sometimes black and blue, and one point even almost to death. But in this case, no problem. He has that time where he's at the Areopagus, he's looking to see whether he has a, is advocating new gods or not. In his defensive speech, he wins. Is is. Uh, and passes freely around Athens, and so in peace he journeys to the next city, which is Corinth. Corinth, had, in history, had been destroyed during the Roman and Greek wars and rebuilt by the victor Julius Caesar as a Roman colony, but then it developed into the administrative capital of Achaia. So it's not an official Roman colony anymore. But Corinth was famous for the Isthmian Games and was infamous in immorality. With a population of approximately 300,000 people, Latin and Greek speakers, because of its founding by Romans, Corinth also has 460,000 slaves. So there's this massive population of, of foreign slaves in the city. Its adjacent ports over the it's it's that place <laughs> provided exceeding wealth and indulgence. Athens disturbed Paul in its overwhelming idolatry, and now he is knee-deep in sexual immorality. This boy's out of the frying pan into the fire. Before entering the local synagogue, as is Paul's custom, Luke uncharacteristically gives us a prelude and backstory to introduce Aquila and Priscilla. He doesn't normally do this. Aquila is a native of Pontus, which is in northern Turkey. They're Jewish people. Without Roman citizenship, Aquila is skilled in tent making, 
as a craft and he shares the same faith of Jesus as the Messiah. How they came to faith is not explained as part of the backstory. They had been expelled from Rome by Claudius Caesar. The Roman historian uh, Suetonius records a brief statement in his Divus Claudius, chapter 25, mentioning riots and disturbances by the Jewish people of Rome at the instigation of Crestus. So who's Crestus? Christ. Right. So we had these, uh, just so we see in the other, other cities uh, in Acts, uh, Jewish people start riots to try and crush the, um, the, the new movement. Uh, and in some cases, it seems to have uh, succeeded in the expulsion of Jewish people. And the, the Romans decided, okay, that's it. We don't understand what this all is. So they thought that this, this Crestus fellow was uh, starting a, a rebellion. So they kick everybody out. Which leads Claudius to expel the Jews from the city in 49 AD. That's quite a nice little date marker uh, for history uh, in terms of um, dating other books of the Bible. Western texts then add lots of details concerning Aquila and of the way Paul engages in the synagogue. And we read some of the, the Western texts. Does anyone remember? Yep. And explaining how when Paul would go in, uh, how he would insert the name of Jesus into, uh, into uh, whatever passage of scripture that they were reading. For those who are not familiar with Western texts, those are larger versions of Acts. Okay, that come from a different time period and sometimes um, uh, different areas uh, of the world. So we are reading Alexandrian texts. That's our, that's our version of Acts. Mm -hmm. Paul and Luke had come to Corinth alone. They had worked during the week to sustain themselves, working together with Aquila in their tenting trade. And then they would go and, and, and uh, do their evangelism and preaching and reasoning in the synagogue. With Silas the prophet, and that's remember, he is a prophet. And uh, how many prophecies have we had from him since his appearance? Zero. Uh, Timothy, they, they rejoined them, uh, Paul and Luke, from Macedonia, where they had been hanging out with the Thessalonians and the Bereans. Paul stops working, and he devotes his time now solely to preaching and teaching. So then we noted that the sharing of the division of work. Sometimes others take responsibility for accumulating the money to survive, and others take the responsibility in sharing the faith. So it's not that... When, when Paul was by himself, he worked and shared. And then when he had a team, they worked and he shared. And everybody that was part of the team. Uh, which then we reflected on, on our community here, where we have volunteers who come and seem to just do all the work. But that by them doing that, they are providing the opportunity for some other members of our community to do all the evangelism. And that is truly a blessing. So Paul encounters opposition from some of the Jewish members of the synagogue, like that's ever happened before, yeah? Okay. And in anger makes a vow to go to the Gentiles. This vow was immediately broken in Ephesus and perhaps should be read as perhaps locally pertaining to the city of Corinth. Okay, that's it. I'm not coming to your synagogue anymore. I'm going to hang out with the Gentiles. And perhaps not a wider universal ministry. Paul does have success with the gospel, despite the opposition, which was always the way. The God-fearer Titius Justus opens his home for ministry, conveniently located right next door to the synagogue, noting that God-fearing Gentiles and Jews are living in the same neighborhood. 
the synagogue leader Crispus, which is a Latin name, and his entire household also joined the Jesus movement. So despite this opposition, he ends up having quite a good piece of success. So then we discussed several reasons together why we thought Paul was going to leave Corinth, because the text actually doesn't explain why. Paul receives a vision from the Lord. Again, Silas the prophet does not. With the beautiful words that God is with him and that God has many people, predominantly Gentiles, in this sin-ridden hotbed of sexual immorality. Now, isn't that interesting? God has not, has not declared this for Paul for other cities that we know of. Paul resides in Corinth for a further 18 months when he was thinking of leaving. Verse 12 provides a rare time stamp in literary archaeology. Gallio, or Gallio was proconsul of Corinth in 51 AD. Galileo is unimpressed with inter-Jewish debates and refuses to hear the charges concerning Paul and his preaching. So the, uh, they, they bring him before Galileo, and he basically says, you know, I'm not, I, I can't be bothered with this inner Jewish stuff. Okay? And, uh, and, and then he dismisses it. Acts hints at a latent anti-Semitism in Corinth with the beating of the synagogue ruler Sosthenes. So it could be that the Jewish people beat him up, but it also could be read that the Greeks do. And then you could be asking why are Greek people doing it? Could be that there's a, there's a latent anti-Semitism that's, uh, that's, that's expressing itself here. Sosthenes and his identity are debated among historians, some identifying him with 1 Corinthians, in which Paul calls him a brother in the faith. But not 100% sure. And that's where we end up. Any questions on our last week's study? Cool. All right, then let's read our text and see where the things that we can learn from sacred history. So, verse 18. Uh, for those who don't know what we do, we just go around the table reading one verse at a time. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. And then he left the brothers and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at uh, Sancria because of a vow he had taken. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. They asked him to stay longer, but he declined. On taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you, if God wills. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church, and then went down to Antioch. I spent some time there and afterwards, set out and passed systematically through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the um, students. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. 
And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who, when he was come, helped them much, which he had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Amen. All right. Anything there that uh, stood out? Or. <coughs> it does, doesn't it? It, just, it races through it. Yeah. In verse 21, in my translation, it actually says um, that there's a. He says, you must by all means keep this feast, um, which wasn't in some other translation. Yes. Yeah. Um, so who, who's got different. I noticed that there are some variant readings in different manuscripts running around. And so each of our translations are drawing from different material. Okay? And there are um, some. So this is, these, this is some parts of, of uh, literary archaeology where the, all the texts don't line up. It doesn't make them not true. Okay? This means that some texts are just holding on to more material than somebody else's. That's all. Um, for example, um, Aria, what do you have for verse uh, 22? He lands at Caesarea, and then what does he do? And he went up to Caesarea, and arriving at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the, the church, and went down to Antioch. You've got... Goes to the church in Jerusalem. You've got Jerusalem. Okay, Arius is probably actually reading the the closest source to actually the Greek there. Correct. Right. Yeah. Uh, the Greek doesn't say Jerusalem. Right. Western texts add the I've got to go keep the feast. I've got to go keep a feast. Right. There's that's 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 a Western text, not the Alexandrian version. What what the, what the what the translators are doing is they're trying to figure out what the vow he is that's taken, and we'll discuss that in the, when we get to it. Because again, none of this is explained. Something else was hidden. Yes, again, there's, yes. So there's there's a whole there's, there's like multiple streams, and we'll play around with it in a minute. Hopefully, that's not going to shake anybody's faith, is it? <laughs> oh, good. Because <laughs> that would be. There are ambiguities that you know. If people know, happen to know what he meant by going up to the church, they think, okay, well, it, it's obvious that they'll fill in Jerusalem. That's correct. Yes, the, you don't go up to Caesarea. The one city you go up to is. Yes. So, that, so there was very easy for some later editor to come along and go. Oh, it's got to be Jerusalem. I'll just add that and shove that in there. Yeah. Says he went down then he went down. Yeah. And then he went down. Yes. Which is actually in the north. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it really, it, I think it's pretty obvious it's Jerusalem, but um, that's not there in the actual original, but or as as closest of the early sources you can find. But uh, that's interesting. Okay. Anything else? Why would we even care? Yeah, that's a good question. Some people do, some people don't. The skeptics are the ones that will come up to some people and say, your Bible doesn't make sense, can't you see all these contradictions? Uh, and if you're not prepared, yeah, some people, because their faith is in their Bible, it can shake them. I have a question related to that. Paul was taught personally by the Lord 
in his vision, and yet here he was, the Pharisee of Pharisees. Do you think he was able to let go of the commandment to observe the three pilgrimages to Jerusalem? Do you think he was able to let go of that? Or do you think that he perhaps observed all three of them? Well, the, the commandment to show up to Jerusalem three times a year just was not done. It's not possible. So, so to, like he's going to stay 18 months in Corinth. How many times should he then technically have left? Right. Four. If he was going to do all of those. So what you find is we know what it says and then what actually happens is actually something different. So what, what, what's going on is people are beginning to reinterpret the text. They don't tell you that, that and now we've reinterpreted the text and so I can stay here for 18 months because I know that um, so in diaspora with most people living outside the land of Israel there was just no way that they could possibly show up. So they didn't. So they would send you might do it once in your life. Okay? You might do a hajj. Okay? Which, is, is, which is most likely where they get that idea from. Okay? The sort of once a lifetime pilgrimage. Um, yeah. But obviously he hasn't, he hasn't let go of something because uh, he calls himself I am a Pharisee when he gives his description of himself. And in Acts 15 the believers argue with the party of the Pharisees who are believers, who are siding with some of the apostles. So you can be a Pharisee and a believer in Jesus. In those days. Yeah. Yeah, in those days. Yeah. Okay, so the scenario is Paul um, has had some success in Corinth. This is a city full of uh, sexual immorality for those who have uh, has anyone been to ancient Corinth as part of like a tour or anything um, we did and uh, there is like the area where you go where all the temple prostitutes would hang out and they would have a little sign saying how many there were and all that kind of stuff so it was quite it's quite um, interesting and, and it gave you the sailors I guess something to do uh, when they would show up and want to spend their money uh, in the name of religion because they're all temple prostitutes. Um, Where did that money go? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> um, and so then he gets in front of the proconsul which fails miserably for uh, his accusers and he ends up uh, uh, being ejected from the court except that the synagogue rule ends up getting beaten instead of Paul this time. And then you get that in verse 18, um, an undisclosed time. Paul stays in Corinth for some time, that we're not really sure when. Um, so he might have actually stayed, a couple of different comments, for like another six months, waiting for the weather to change before he could sell. In which case, our little brother's been there two whole years, which is a lot of time spent in one city. And, and may account for his long and uh, impassioned discourses to those, those town, to that town in particular, and that community. Plus, what has God told him? There are many believers to be talked to 
Yep, yeah. there are many people that are mine. So you're going to, yep, yeah, get, get these ones out. So stay, have courage, keep speaking, don't stop. Which he ends up doing. At some point, he obviously feels, okay, I've reached enough people or the, the machinery is enough that it can keep doing its, itself and he's going to leave and he's going to set sail for Syria, which, what's in Syria? Where's he going to end up at the end of this chapter? Antioch. Antioch. Right? He's going back to Antioch. Why is he going to Antioch? Right? Yeah, that's there. It's his sending church. <laughs> it's a, it's where he has his home base. Going back to raise support. It could be going back to raise support. You, yeah, all of that stuff. Um, that's his home base. His home base isn't Jerusalem. Well, he's got to go there. Uh, his home base is actually Antioch. Okay, they're the at this for this hero. Jerusalem sends others, but it's not part of this story. Okay? It's part of other people's stories. And here he's accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. So who's staying behind now in Silas is staying? Yeah. In fact, Silas now drifts off the pages, you never hear him again. Okay? Yeah. So our prophet had, I know, he didn't give us any we get we're told he's a prophet. Cool, I can't wait to hear what he's got to say. He doesn't say anything. Um, there is a book attributed to him called The Teachings of uh, Silvanus or The Teachings of Silas. Um, it's, I don't know which church holds on to it anymore. Um, it does exist. Uh, I think I've read bits of it and it has all escaped my memory right now. But uh, he had just drifts off the pages of our history. Well, he, he's mentioned, isn't he, by Peter helps him write that letter from Rome. I think he's mentioned, Sylvanus. yes, Sylvanus, and then, yes. So, yes, he is mentioned a few times by other people, but he himself is not seen doing anything. But he does seem to end up in different different cities, helping people out. Okay. Um, and, yeah, it's interesting that we get told he's a prophet, and yet we get no prophecy from him. But we do get an interesting little play on, on or how the words are shaped. Priscilla and Aquila. When they were initially introduced, they are Aquila and Priscilla. From now on, she gets the top billing. Now, why do you think Paul would take them and leave his other two mates behind? They were all tech Yeah, it could be. <clears throat> know the same trade? Team. Probably a pretty good team. Husband and wife team, isn't that interesting in the ancient world? Yeah? And uh, she gets top billing. And so for some reason she has this uh, uh, various honor. Now some people will just say, well that's just Luke. He loves women. And he's always mentioning them. He's always, so you know, what would be, could be some of the other options? So always often told that uh, look it's a very patriarchal society out there women weren't worth much and yet what do we find in the New Testament women are worth it women are disciples women, a lot of money too. 
and she makes chunks of money too so yeah <laughs> gotta mention her name she's paying for the book you know um, but yeah women women were very important in the Jesus movement and it could possibly be that they weren't as as pushed down as everybody thinks particularly uh, in a certain proverb which proverb would, would I might be referring to 31, 31 right the, that perhaps women did play bigger roles in society than we we actually imagine. I think it's just a myth that um, Judaism were downplayed. I think they really were honest, mm. not certainly compared to other cultures. Yeah, and this being a Jewish book seems to reflect that women do get a role, including in the early church. Yes? I think it's a perception that's out in the yeah. Yeah, but it actually looks more like it's the opposite. Yeah. It's the case, isn't it, that um, in Jesus' time, women were not segregated in the synagogue. I mean, synagogue wasn't really that's right. big enough for that, so they were all together in the same place. They were. People that's... tend to assume that because for centuries that's been the case in the synagogue, that it goes back 2,000 years, but it doesn't. Right. Like today, uh, we were in Shiloh, in Shiloh, and we had explored the tabernacle area, and the tabernacle did not have a separation court for women. The temple did. The, 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 the Shiloh area was just, everybody went, and then you get that beautiful story of, of Hannah praying. And where was she praying? Yeah, she walked up to the parochet and said, I'm going to talk to God. And, uh, and she's not berated for it. She's berated for, are oh, you mumbling, are oh, you drunk? As opposed to, you're a woman, you shouldn't be here. I'm going to pick up a big rock. And, uh, and uh, she ends up being honored uh, with a son. And so, yeah, it, it, that, that separation of males and females oscillates through, time, through history. And, um, and so there are time periods, and we have photos to prove it, that at the Western Wall, men and women prayed together. And what we're looking at today happens to be a um, more modern separation. And so, anyway, here we have our, our text, our sacred history, reflecting that women have value. Uh, and Paul is certainly learning if he did have a little thing about women he's certainly learning something about them on his trip and how valuable they can be okay so he before he sails though you get that interesting little verse that says he cut his hair cuts his hair off at uh, Senkria which is the port on one side of the of the Ismith because of a vow he had taken all right What's going on now? He's off to Syria. It doesn't say that he's going to Jerusalem. Um, it says that's where he wanted to go. Now he's taken a vow. What vow? Why would he cut his hair off? Well, isn't that at the end of a vow? Or the is it the beginning or the end of a vow? That's a good question. The end of a vow. Nazarite Correct. It's the end of a Nazarite vow. Right? And, and if you're doing a Nazarite vow, where are you supposed to end your vow? Correct. 
Yeah, you're not supposed to cut your hair off outside the land. You're supposed to do it inside. So, some people argue it's a Nazarite vow, okay? And that, um, and uh, he's ended something. And then he's going to make his way to Jerusalem. However, technically, you're supposed to fulfill your vow, start your vow anywhere you like, but fulfill it in Jerusalem. And not only that, cutting your hair is just a little bit of it. Anyone know what the rest of the vow, the way you end the rest of your vow? Lots of it. <laughs> okay, yeah, it's, it, you don't take these vows lightly because you will fork out a chunk of cash and usually involving a variety of different sacrifices. Yes, sacrifices. And there's a nice little list of how many animals and how much money and how it's all going to be worth, uh, which of course you can only do in Jerusalem. So there is a debate whether this is a, uh, a Nazarite vow or some other vow, whether it's the start of a vow or it's the end of a vow. Point is, we have no idea. He's had one. What does that tell us about our hero? I mean, this is sacred history. This is the sacred text. Why bother including this sentence? Does this help any of us? I mean, think about it. This is divine language, is it not? Or is it just stung? In which case, uh. yeah, there's some Luke. Luke's it's serious enough for Luke to say, "Listen, we did this." What has Paul been charged with all throughout his adventures? As soon as he's left Antioch, doesn't matter where he goes, he ends up with the same charge. Turning the Jews against what? Torah. Everywhere he goes. He's, he's, in, he's inciting us to follow foreign gods. He's teaching us not to obey the laws of Moses. Look at how bad this guy is. And so for what, and it happens again in Corinth, but for some reason he takes a vow. We have no clue what the vow is, but it could be a speculation that he says, well, I'll take a vow and it will prove to you that I'm not teaching against the, the, the Torah because I myself am, 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 am honoring a vow. Could be, could be that he uh, that does this. Maybe in her. Well, I was just going to say, isn't there another place where it does it with some of the brethren? Yes. And, and it, is that, was that Jerusalem? Yes. And in that case, did he, I was just wondering, did he have to pay for those other people? And that was to show them the people of the law, wasn't it, in that case? That was an idea from the Jerusalem leadership. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. 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 So it could be that it's already happened before. Like, actually, what goes on in Jerusalem isn't the first time this has ever happened to Paul. It could be that, actually, we've had, brother, we've had so many of these charges laid against you there's got to be a way we can prove this to be wrong. Do you mind doing this? And he goes, okay. And it was so important for Luke that he actually writes it down and says, look, just watch what this guy's teaching. He's not teaching Jews to eat bacon, right? He's not telling us to uh, uh, break the Sabbath. He's not telling them to cut off their sit seat. I always think that it's like the other passage is kind of like showing that with the Spirit, you know, Christ, you can keep the law better because have the Holy Spirit showing us to do it more perfectly. So, I don't, you know, maybe... That is a... That was a question. That as we were driving towards Shiloh, we went with a, a new Jewish believer. Okay, so we took a, a lady, and she's been a believer since November last year. 
and uh, and she's reading the Bible and and she's reading the, New, the, the Hebrew Bible, the Old, uh, the Old Testament, almost for the first time. And she's sitting there going, what do I do? How do I do these laws? How do I keep Shabbat? I don't even know how to. Um, and, you know, and these very innocent, childlike questions all through the drive, which was you know, quite, quite nice. Yeah. That doesn't say we had answers for her, okay? <laughs> it's, it's a tough one, isn't it? Especially if you're a Jewish, Jewish people. Paul Could be. Yes. For whatever reason, Paul does. Right. Well, the text, the text actually is neutral. It allows an interpretation that it wasn't Paul who took the vow, but rather it was Aquila. Yeah. Because the, the male previous immediate antecedent to this view was Aquila, and yeah. it says, and having shaved his head because of having made a vow. Yeah. So. This That's has been true. A debate for about 1,800 years now. Yep. <laughs> Jerome and the Vulgate. Uh, so that it was a quality. That's true. That is true. Yep. So it's true. The Greek is very neutral on this. So it might not be Paul doing it. It could actually be Aquila taking it out. It could be an expression of dedication to God. Yep. Because Torah was very strict about us. Yeah. Very serious things. Yeah. And we can't do it lightly because you were confused. Yeah. Later. So. Could be. The the reason at the end a majority of scholars think it's Paul is what reason? Anyone know from the text? Correct. That's right. So they would and and not go Aquila being present when he goes. So that could be it could be the reason. But you're right. You're absolutely right. The Greek is 100% neutral. Um, Alright, so he takes a vow, we're not sure what the vow is or what it's actually proving. It ends up in our history for us to learn something. Uh, they arrive at Ephesus, all right, where Paul uh, leaves Priscilla and Aquila. And he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Which seems like a very odd way of trying to describe um, going into a city. Although, from the past, um, we, we, there, there, where have we found some synagogues in towns, in, in, in Greek towns? Outside the city. And why have they been located outside the city? They've been close by rivers where you can have a mikveh. So actually the Greek might reflect a literal thing Luke saw. They arrived at Ephesus. Um, Paul says, okay, you guys find us some lodging and whatever. I will go outside Ephesus, not too far away where the actual synagogue is. That doesn't say Aquila and Priscilla don't go to the synagogue, because they do. They're going to end up meeting Apollos there. Um, but it could be that, the, that, that here Luke is actually reflecting something he saw. Um, so he goes into the synagogue, which he had previously said in, in Corinth that he wasn't going to do anymore. But that could just have been localized. And, and I would argue that that's actually probably what it is. And uh, he reasons with the Jewish people or debates with them. So once again, what scripture is he debating from? What Bible? 
Torah, sure. Tanakh, yeah. What language is it in? Still in Greek, right? We're, we're, we're Septuagint Greek. There, there, no one here is using Hebrew Bible, okay? We're taking up Greek text and we're arguing the Greek and, and proving that Jesus is the, the Christos. Ooh, that's almost like a dirty word in uh, modern Messianic Judaism, isn't it? But that's what you would have said. You wouldn't have said Mashiach. You would have said Christos. And if you were trying to say Yeshua in Greek, what would you have said? You would have said Jesus. You would have said Jesus. 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 What's the, had? Jesus Christos. There you go. That's what you would have said. Okay? And you wouldn't have batted an eyelid. You wouldn't have said, oh my gosh, we're doing it all wrong. Okay? Um, and so he engages in debate. And in this one, as opposed to some of the other, other uh, places, the Ephesus Jews don't go, oh my gosh, we've got to knock this guy senseless. We've got to stir up the Gentiles and cause a problem. Instead, they think he's the best thing since sliced bitter. It's like, wow, you're hot to trot. You should stay. Right? They ask him to spend more time with them. And he declines. Now, why do you think he would do that? Who is Paul? Paul is a... He's an apostle. He's an evangelist par excellence. He loves finding an audience and talking with people. Now you've got a group of people who say, that's awesome. We'd love to know more. And you stay. And his answer doesn't come out, you betcha. I can't wait to start this tomorrow morning. Who's up for five o'clock? What does he do? Oh, no, I'm out of here, guys. Why do you think he would say such a thing? It could be related to the vow. Could be, yes. In other words, getting to Jerusalem to do something. So, I mean, it has to be a strong reason because of the case you just made. Yep. And that would seem to be anything in the context that you can see that would cause him to want to get up and leave quickly. Yeah, he seems pressed for time. That would be his. his What's the time of year? He's waited here to set sail, so he must have known that there's this time to sail, so he wanted to get to Jerusalem. Could be, yeah. Like, if, if the shaving of the head is the end of a vow, then there is no time constraint. You've ended your vow. But perhaps the, 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 there might have been uh, nuances to to making vows outside the land that we don't know or are not aware of. Okay. We're not 100% sure. Okay. Well, just maybe he didn't want to overwinter in Ephesus. That could also be it. It's like, I've been here and it's cold and I'm an old man and I really don't like doing it. And I've actually just shaved my head and it's really cold on my, my, my scalp. So we don't, whatever it is. But he really actually doesn't leave them alone, does he? Who does he leave behind? It's going, to, it's going to actually leave Priscilla currently. So, so what does that teach us as uh, either missionaries on the mission field or people who would like to share the gospel with people? Uh, does that teach us anything? Okay, don't, leave, don't leave people alone. That would be perhaps my first reaction is, oh my gosh, if someone asks for the gospel, I wouldn't say, no, nah, look, um, yeah, I'll come back if God wills, you know. <laughs> Also, being that you know he likes a challenge, so you know if he, people are going to contest him, he's going to stay. Yeah. And you know when they're just sort of 
stay is thinking, well, somebody else can stay in book. Somebody else can do it. Yeah, yeah, somebody else can explain it. Yeah. Who's slightly less bombastic than Paul? <laughs> <laughs> I've got a team. You really should hear this girl speak, okay? Yeah, mm-hmm. she's right. And because um, and, he, he says, but as he left, he promises, I will come back if it is God's will. So what kind of a promise is that? Realistic. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's it's a realistic promise. Like, I'm not. I, I I know how to make vows. Okay, I've actually made a vow, so I know what vows are like, and I know my yes is yes, and my no is no, and you know, <laughs> look at that for a crew cut. And uh, but here he goes. Look, I can't. I can't promise anything. I mean, I really don't know what where I'm going because I've actually got a destination. I'm heading back to my home base. They actually might send me somewhere else. And uh, we shall see. Uh, so he uses that. I'll come back if it's uh, if it's if it's God will. Because because like Ephesus wasn't actually part of the initial plan. Uh, he hasn't had the vision sequence saying, "Get thee to Ephesus. There are people whom belong to me." Um, thing. And he's just spent two years potentially in Corinth, at least a year and a half and a bit more. Okay, so then he then he sets sail from Ephesus, and when he lands at Caesarea, so who's who's residing in Caesarea? Philip. Yes, Philip's in Caesarea, and who else? Sorry. Yeah, that's right. There's a whole bunch of them, and they're all prophets, by the way. So, yeah, which as we've learning from other prophets, don't say a heck of a lot, but. Yeah, and um, we've got the centurion and his household, and uh, unless of course he's been moved, then we've actually got a small growing community. Um, but we don't actually stop off in their place, or maybe we did. Maybe they met him at the at the at the dock, but there's no mention of them. Doesn't mean they're not there. Just our our sacred history doesn't need need to mention. And then he goes up, and then the addition by some texts, he's off to Jerusalem. Which we, he would then do what there? Well, he greets the church, uh, which would be who? James and friends. Yep, James and friends. I'm sorry? Yes. And the brothers. Yes, the brothers. Yep. The family, uh, the community. At, by this stage, what's the size of our Jerusalem church? Yeah, it's quite... A vibrant community it's not small you know? Jerusalem is still quite the ablaze with believers and how much information do we get on this meeting none <laughs> right there's no well let's call a council we would love to hear what our Gentile brothers and sisters are doing with we passed out an encyclical about three years ago has it had any effect Right. Give us some. You, know, um, you, know. you remember that party of the Pharisees? Yes. Well, we stoned them all, Paul. What was that a good idea? You know, no clue of what's going on. Um, the the information just races through, uh, and so they greet the church, and then they went down to Antioch, which is his home base. Uh, according to tradition, it's also where Luke's from. After spending some time in Antioch, in verse 23, again, not time Pacific, Paul sets out from there and travels from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. So what do you think uh, 
made him do that? Well, he checked in and they um, sent him out again. Yep. In which route? The land route. But yeah, the land route, okay. Essentially, the same one he went before. Right? So there is this interesting little example which we have in the mission field of doing the same thing. Um, and doing the same things, okay, not bad. You've done that before, you're good at it, do it again. And so he does. And it strengthens all the disciples, which is a, a nice, encouraging thing. How he does it, with his presence or with his words, with an extra good Bible study, with the Holy Spirit, with some miracles, we're not told, but we are told that it has an effect on the disciples. That's strengthened. Um, is there anything in our experience? What strengthens you guys? How do our communities get strengthened? Any idea? Perhaps none of our communities get strengthened. <laughs> anything personal? Okay, so that strengthens you, and yeah. more Bible studies. That strengthens you. Great. Good preaching. Good preaching. Yeah. When you hear what God's doing in other parts of the world and other congregations, they bring you to that. Yep. Learning that you're you're actually part of something bigger is all. Yeah. That's. I think when I left Australia, for me personally, what looking at how big the church was. You know, when you're in Australia and you're so far removed and uh, you go to the little the traditional things, you think that, wow, not much of us really. And then you go, over, uh, you land in a foreign country and you realize, my gosh, there's a lot of people who believe in Jesus in this world. And they don't speak my language at all. I mean, they're everywhere. And that is actually a really encouraging thing. Yeah? You rock up in nearly every town and there's a believer there somewhere. Which is which is awesome. Wherever we're. Yeah? Wherever we're. Wherever we're, yeah. We're everywhere. And it's great. And so, and that's encouraging. So yeah, the community was strengthened by by Paul coming back. And he had a lot of stories to tell him. Right? He's got lots of good stories he can say. Uh, anyone with a with a possessed girl, demon thing following her, don't cast it out. Okay, ends poorly, or he might have some other really cool experiences to tell them. And so now the scene jumps from verse 23 and 24. It suddenly drops Paul and, uh, and, and goes to, um, back to Ephesus, which of course, Luke's not there, but eventually he's going to get this material and writes it out. And so... Uh, we end up with a guy called, a Jewish guy called Apollos, who's a native of Alexandria, which is one of the largest uh, diaspora communities of Jewish people. Okay? Big diaspora community in Babylon, but also a very large diaspora community in Alexandria. Okay? At uh, one stage, I think it was, was, was close to a million people. So Alexandria had um, a library, very famous library, and a papyrus industry. And so had was, was, was known um, uh, uh, for producing like high, high quality scholarship. And uh, what, what some of the more famous Jewish people that come from Alexandria of that same time period is? Philo. Yes, yeah, Philo. Yeah. 
of uh, Philo of Alexandria. So this guy, this, 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 this Jewish guy, Apollos, who has an interesting name for coming from, from that part of the world, okay, comes to Ephesus, which is a, uh, uh, a center of commerce, center of banking, okay, oddly enough. Uh, you know, lots of different trade guilds and the, also famous for the Temple of Artemis, which was a, a Greek god of hunting of some description. Um, he is a learned man, this is his uh, backstory, learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. Alright, that's not bad. And he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Any idea how that might happen to some Jewish guy in Alexandria? He studied. He definitely studied the scriptures. Yes. Excellent. But that wouldn't tell him about the way of the Lord. He had a Gentile friend. Could have happened in Jerusalem. So there's, there is a tradition that he ends up, uh, perhaps he's uh, uh, a wealthy merchant and he's going to be doing some trading. So he ends up you know, having to move around a lot. Or, he, because of his high learning, he actually might go to Jerusalem to study with the masters. Okay, that's one, one option. Um, that's the way I think. However, Western texts add that he learned all this stuff in Alexandria, without adding how. There were people from the first day of Pentecost, from Egypt, almost certainly would have included Alexandria, mm -hmm. because it was such a centre for Jewish population. So there probably would have been the opportunity to hear the news of the good news from those people. Right. So he hears the good news that something's happened. So how do these guys then learn more? It could be that, like, I mean, let's remember, our version of sacred history doesn't tell us which guys go to Alexandria, go to Egypt, although the tradition is it's Mark. That's... That if you if you ask Egyptian Coptics, they'll tell you it's Mark. Possible. Um, it's it's just just as Antioch is sending out Paul, Jerusalem, which has got myriads of believers now, and some of them quite learned priests, might be sending out other shlechim as well, and though might not be the only two places. We may have other communities that, that are being created and then they've decided we're going to send out somebody. And so somehow, somewhere along the way, our learned uh, uh, hero um, with a good knowledge of scriptures is instructed by someone in the way of the Lord. And so if you heard the term the way of the Lord, what would you think that that meant? Like what would be good news of Jesus? Okay, good news of Jesus, right? Elsewhere in Acts, the new believers are characterized by um, the people, the people of the way. Yeah. But and has that something to do with, with the way of the Lord? Could be the way of the Lord. Yeah, that could be the way to describe it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He definitely knows Jesus, and. And, and he believes he's obviously the Messiah and he speaks with great fervor because it gets him excited right and so he's he's just as passionate with along with a whole bunch of other people 
uh, to, to spread the word. And he taught about Jesus accurately. What's the Greek there? Is that like? Uh huh. Which was, was fair enough to translate? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So he's not ignorant of being able to tell people the message of the Messiah. So he hasn't got a gospel like we have. He's probably got some good stories. And, and Luke reflects it as he, you know, he's accurately telling you about the Messiah. What he did, what he didn't do, you know, um, etc. There could have been dozens of like, missionaries leaving from Jerusalem, going to different parts of the world, which we don't know about. Correct. But if it was from the day of Pentecost, you'd think they would have heard about the baptism of the Spirit, rather than just the baptism of John. Yes, that is the interesting bit. And perhaps we might not know what it means, the baptism of John. Because it says he, he, he knows about the way of the Lord. He's received instruction. He's, he's, a, he's a very smart, learned man. May or may not be, be independently wealthy. Has a good knowledge of the scriptures. Might even have access to, to some. If he's wealthy, he might do. Uh, and he's, speak, he's, got, he's a passionate orator. He, he's, got, he's erudite. He can actually converse. And he teaches about Jesus accurately, so he's not just making up stuff. Um, but, he, but then you get that, that little sentence that says, uh, though he only knew the baptism of John. But you're right. If people have come from Pentecost, then they know the Holy Spirit. Plus, Second Temple period literature is full of Holy Spirit. Right? The Hebrew Bible isn't, but, but, but Greek... Uh, but, Jewish literature is uh, yesterday I was at Qumran and when you're at Qumran you have a, a, a mikveh there and then they have the scripts of various hymns and all the hymns are the ones that talk about being cleansed and purified by the Holy Spirit not the water so you will go into the water but you didn't say in your, in your prayer, the water made me clean. What you say is, Holy Spirit made me clean. Which is an interesting little piece of theology for Qumran. Okay? And this is emboldened there, um, which is really quite nice. And, uh, but he, here, he, it, I don't understand, I personally don't quite understand what it means by the baptism of John. Right? Um, I don't quite know what that means. Right. So it could be that the only baptism he personally has had is the baptism of repentance. But this is comparing it with the water baptism, isn't it? Not, not so much the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah. It's a water baptism. So, so when Paul explains, it seems like they need to be baptized to go to the water in the name of the Messiah. Because Paul, and because um, the text says that doesn't at that time, Right. But it seems what seems to have been omitted in his understanding is the fact that John uh, preached Jesus as the giver of the Holy Spirit. And that's the, the crucial link that doesn't seem to have been closed in the follows right. understanding and preaching. Yep. So he, he, he accurately could prove that Jesus is the Messiah. He could probably draw you to various scriptures and things, but yeah, perhaps that, that final little... There's something missing because it clearly says that they had some more stuff. Um, and, and we'll see what they say. 
he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. So he shows up in, in Ephesus. So it's not just, it's not just uh, Paul, it's this guy. And it shows us also that, the, that communities around the world were very open to visiting preachers. Why is that? I think I mentioned it once before, I can't remember. Because you had, you had the synagogue chief, but that didn't necessarily mean the guy knew how to speak. He just ran the place. And so we're still, we still have, there's not, there's not this thing like, here's a rabbi and he'll just attach to a synagogue and you go to a synagogue and you meet the rabbi. That didn't exist yet. And so it's not that you went to a synagogue and, and we, we definitely had a, a top-notch preacher. Some of them didn't. And so when anybody visited who looked like he had any brain, they would say, do you have any clue about uh, what, what someone might say today? Um, there's an interesting denomination called the Brethren, which followed exactly the same model, right? right? If you show up in a Brethren church, you'd better be ready to say something, right? You, um, that's just what's going to happen. Um, and so he gets the floor, and away he goes. And oddly enough, Priscilla and Aquila are there, right? They haven't been given the floor. Maybe they had last week or something, perhaps whatever it is. Okay, so they hear him, and then they invite him to their home and explain to him the way of God more adequately. Okay? Now, why do you think they did it that way? And what does that teach us? Yeah, don't make it public. You know, so the guy's doing something and they're sort of sitting there going, ooh, okay, that, that wasn't quite a, oh, that grated on me there. That, um, that's replacement theology, you know? <laughs> and so you don't stand up and go, all right, I've, I've had enough. You know, you, you, you're an idiot. Uh, stop talking. You're all wrong. Don't listen to this guy. They, they went after the service and they said, yeah, I really enjoyed that. Um, come to my place for, for, for lunch, got something to say. And they did it, did it um, privately. Which is, I think, a good model for us, yes? Yes. What's the difference between that and when they Yes, he does, he does do a something in public, yeah. I mean, Peter was in a leadership role and he shouldn't have done that. He shouldn't have changed his eating community habits because the uh, members of the circumcision party have turned up. So Paul challenges him about that. Because it's such an important issue that had been decided on in the council to So it's because it's a salvific issue, but maybe because this is just a sort of... Well, this, this is, the guy is just, you know, he hasn't heard it yet. Just a key piece of information has been missed out of what you said. And they're really going to enjoy telling you because they think if he really has a heart to understand the scriptures, he's going to, it'd be the easiest thing to do, just to explain to him the final piece of the jigsaw. And, and he goes with it. He does. And uh, he ends up becoming um, quite a hero. Uh, so much so that. Uh, many early uh, uh, church fathers attribute him to the writing of, of Hebrews. Okay? He's not the only option, but, but he's a good option. Okay? Uh, because he is so learned, he's very eloquent, uh, he's familiar with the scriptures, especially Greek scriptures, and obviously that's what New Testament's going to quote. 
um, and, and things like that. Okay. Look, the other interesting aspect is that Hebrews has in it the philosophical thought of the Greek mind, like Platonic ideas of forms, if you know what that is. For example, he says, Moses made the tabernacle according to the pattern in the heavenly places. Right. Because that one's perfect, and the one on earth is kind of incomplete in some ways. Yeah. Um, so he's appealing to the way that people would understand, you know, weak thinking minds would understand truth, and that Moses received it, you know, made the tabernacle on earth according to the pattern in the heavenly places. Cool. Uh, so it has a lot of Greek thinking ideas behind it, and this fits really well with someone educated in Alexandria, which was basically the, the university for the Jews in that part of the Mediterranean. Yep, and and exported, like they they uh, not always so well received, perhaps in the Holy Land, but uh, definitely in diaspora. And so then, and. Hebrews is written in a rhetorical style. Yeah. So it's it's written in Greek to be listened to rather than read. Yeah. And uh, so it's a it, it takes a number of boxes. Yeah. For yeah. So yes. So Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, and the brothers encouraged him, uh, and they wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. So Achaia is where. What's the capital of Achaia? Yeah, Corinth. Okay. So, and uh, so, and the and the community that's in Ephesus uh, send introductory letters uh, for him to go. On arriving, he was a great help to those who, by grace, had believed. So, who's still in Corinth? Timothy and Silas, and now Apollos. Okay, and these are some names which you all seem to meet together in various epistles, all lined up, and. Uh, uh, and so Acts is, is um, again, lining up with, uh, with, with a lot of uh, other written sources which appear. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public. Ooh. Okay. Um, this is the same public that uh, uh, Paul went to. Okay. So somehow Apollos can go to the same synagogues that Paul goes to and get away with it, so to speak. So there's something about Paul that he manages to antagonize people. Okay? Whereas Apollos, not so much. Like you don't have sacred history recording, oh my gosh, Apollos walked into our town, he's at a talking, he's, well that's it, we're gonna stir up the Gentiles, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna massacre this guy and throw him off the edge of a cliff. So yeah, I, I think maybe it was possibly part of Paul's manner that he was bombastic, very strong. But also people realised that, you know, if they're opposed to me, they're, we've got to do something about this. This guy is just too good <laughs> at what he's saying. That's one option, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm not saying that Apollos wasn't good, but he was probably more elegant and eloquent, persuasive, but not yeah. kind of in your face, maybe as Paul was. I mean, this, this is kind of... Guess what? Paul, Paul was repeatedly insistent that his gospel came with power. And it may not have been as eloquent as his columns, but uh, we have abundant evidence that he spoke powerfully and that he demonstrated power. 
it's not everywhere mentioned, but periodically enough that we know. I'm absolutely sure that Paul did not do no miracles in Corinth for two years. Right, yes. That's it's inconceivable. It, well, it is, yeah. I yeah. think he actually hints as much in his letters to the Corinthians. Yeah. Right. Now, speaking of these... This goes together also with Paul's lack of understanding of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. So Paul, Apoll, Apollos has had a little bit more education from uh, Priscilla and Aquila, and then he goes to Corinth, and it says he has uh, he speaks boldly and vigorously refutes in public, and he proves from the scriptures right that Jesus is the Messiah. So he's doing he's you know, doing doing well, and uh, Paul's been there before, and I would agree after two years. There must have been something, okay, some sort of miracle. Because what has Paul most likely been able to do that Apollos could not do to the emerging church in Corinth? What do you know of Corinthians from Paul's letter? Sorry? Yes, 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 he, he did that. But what's the big issue that, he, that, that when they're still, well, some of the issues that they're struggling with? They had a lot of immorality. A lot of immorality. Yeah. So he's there for two years. What do you think, that for two years, do you think Paul would have let them get away with it? No. Like, could you imagine, like, he, did, he, did, he didn't like idolatry, but could you imagine, you know, Paul going, so, you know, I'm ready to, to come to church today. What were you doing last week again? Uh, oh, hang on a second, brother. So somehow, the, the, Paul had somehow the ability to keep it in check. We're not sure how. Could have been just his power, his presence. And a skilled orator like Apollos... He could, he could prove that Jesus was the Messiah and he could be bringing in new Jewish believers into the, into the faith and new Gentile believers into the faith. And he could publicly refute. You can't beat this guy, right? But something, he couldn't quite suppress the, uh, the, the sexual immorality within the, within the movement. And so you end up with these letters that come back by Paul saying, look, I've heard this. We've got to sort this out. When I was there, we weren't doing it. Okay, don't make me come there. <laughs> right, type idea. Don't make, <laughs> don't make me come back. Okay. Um, so it is interesting in the in the 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 way these guys guys work. Okay. However, having said that, not to diminish Apollos, because the text, our version, sacred history, is giving us, you know, we for a brief moment we just stop with our hero Paul and hit up with um, Apollos, okay? For some reason, they feel the need to do such a thing. And again, you don't hear of the Holy Spirit. And all in this text. That doesn't say he's not there. It's that our sacred history is not recording anything he said, anything he did, any of the miracles, any of the baptisms. Those just... So it's, it's, a, it's, it's hard to start building doctrines on silence, so we have to be careful with that. Particularly when we have got the letters to Corinthians, which have got more about the action of the work of the Holy the Spirit, Spirit through the people of God than any other set than of letters. Than any other set of letters. Yeah. 
but the actual text itself the, of, of sacred history doesn't have such a thing. And it's worth noting that in the beginning of one Corinthians, that when they're having problems with factions within Corinth, it's Paul, Apollos, or Jesus. Yes. Those are the three figures they divided. Yeah. Which means that Apollos really did make an impact. Yep. It's not, you know, Aquila or Priscilla or Timothy or. Or Silas, who's there? Okay, poor guy hasn't said a single thing out of his prophecies. Okay, yeah. So Apollos obviously rises to the top in terms of teaching and being a leader that people want to follow. Yes, and and I think that little hint that he proves from the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah, um, you know, and he's doing so in a in a setting that has scriptures, which would therefore be the synagogue, not the marketplace. And in public, yes, mm-hmm. and uh, and so he's and he's having a, 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 a success. So the Corinthian community just keeps growing, okay, and um, which I think which is obviously a very good thing. Uh, but it's not. It just said so. But we don't actually know how he was. No, it just it just it, it just introduces Silas, and then ends up with this tag: who was a prophet. <laughs> And you go, oh, good. And then he never says anything. Um, that's recorded. That's recorded, yeah. yeah. Right. Sorry? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Paul and Silas have a little sing-song there in prison. Yeah. So, which is really good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. That's all right. It's not over till the fat lady sings all Silas. Or Silas says something. All Silas. Yeah. All right. Great. Anything else there from our little... Next week, David Pelegi will, will be here. Because um, we will be in Romania. Thank you for your well wishes on our holiday. That's great. Uh, you'll be in England? Yeah. Yep. And uh, so David said he would do the next couple. Mike got his visa. Mike got his visa. Yes. Yes, he's a citizen now. And so um, Paul will be going, uh, not Paul, David will be going over the issues of uh, um, Paul in Ephesus, um, which, oddly enough, reintroduces our forgotten character. Who hasn't been around for like three chapters? The Holy Spirit finally shows up and starts doing stuff. He, in terms of what? Of like preaching and bringing the word to the synagogues, or does he? Where does he feature? In Acts. Yeah, I mean, I mean, outside of Acts, yeah, you mean? Outside of Acts. Oh, he is mentioned in in uh, letters by Paul as a as actually a good person, like you know, very helpful in the in the mission and blah blah blah. What strikes me as slightly odd is that chapter, chapter 19 comes at not quite the right place because this thing about people believing in the baptism of John links with that first paragraph of chapter 19, where it's all about receiving so, the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's a, I feel that just a chapter division is in the wrong place, which it happens quite, quite frequently. Yeah, could be. Yeah, because it, thematically, it's actually the first paragraph of chapter 19 is about the last, it's the same theme as the last paragraph of. No clue. Anyway, great. 
Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.